I'll say, bless the Lord if you say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Thanks, Jack. We believe that the word of God is essential uh, in the worship of God. And so that was awesome. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. If you're new or just visiting with us, welcome. If you're just here considering the claims of Christ or spiritually curious, I'm delighted you're here. I think that the Lord's going to have a word that's going to go straight to your heart, um, and you will be glad that you have joined us tonight. Um, we want to be the kind of place that engages the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anywhere, anytime, any place. Uh, I've added hand motions now. Um, and one of the ways that we do that is we just want to have an honest and authentic connection to God and each other. And part about being honest is we're going to preach the Bible clearly and truthfully, even when it's sometimes difficult to hear. And I've got a difficult truth for you guys to hear tonight. And that is Yellowstone National Park is keeping secrets from us. Don't know if you know this or not, but Yellowstone National Park has an area uh, otherwise known as the zone of death. It is where it borders over from Wyoming, crosses into Idaho, yet is still under the jurisdiction of Yellowstone National Park. It's a 50 square miles. It is desolate. It is isolated. There are no roads and no human inhabitants. Why does this matter and why is it called the zone of death? Because due to a loophole in the Constitution in the Sixth Amendment, which guarantees the fact that you can be tried by a jury of your peers from the jurisdiction where you committed the crime, if you so choose, um, this falls under a place where you could commit the perfect crime for two reasons. One, it's under Wyoming's jurisdiction, yet it crosses into Idaho, and they have not redrawn the lines yet. And two, because no one lives there, there is no possible way to assemble a jury of your peers from that jurisdiction. Now, Robert Colt, who is a professor of law at the University of Michigan, noticed this anomaly, and he published a paper called The Perfect Crime in the Georgetown Law Review. Now, before he did this, he sent that paper to all the government authorities and said, hey, I'm about to publish this. If you'll wrap this up with an amendment or redraw the lines, everything will be fine. They did what the government does and ignored him. And so he went on to publish this, um, and it got headlines. It inspired a fictional work, um, and then also went on to be a 2016 horror film called Population Zero, all based off of the zone of death currently existing in Yellowstone National Park. Why do I tell you that? Two reasons. One, if someone invites you to Yellowstone National Park this summer <laughs> and happens to say, hey, let's check out this place in Idaho, run. <laughs> you are not safe, okay? Second reason I tell you that is because I believe tonight with God's guidance that the Holy Spirit wants to drop a pin right down in the center of our lives where a literal zone of death exists for you and I. It's a place where whether consciously or subconsciously, we have decided that God's goodness and his grace have no jurisdiction. And we've walled it off. It's a place where our Christian joy gets killed because there are loopholes in our theology. And I want to see tonight if we can't re redraw the jurisdiction lines of joy to encompass all of our life and all of our faith. 
So Jacoby read that text for us tonight. Um, We've been in Philippians chapter one. It's the life and the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And it is nonstop about Paul asking us to redraw those lines for the jurisdiction of joy, the sovereignty of our Savior, and understanding the rule and reign of our righteous God has full and final access to every single area of our life. But take this in context. This is coming from a dude who he's serving his first prison sentence. He's going to serve another one coming up soon. And those are going to include the fact that he's on death row, possibly being executed. He is exempt from crucifixion because he's a Roman citizen. He will not die the same way Jesus and Peter did. But ultimately, he will be beheaded, as church history tells us. He's in the middle of a prison cell. He's got unfinished work with the churches that he starts and that he loves. He's got rivalries jumping up, trying to steal the spotlight, sabotage his ministry. He's got a thorn in the flesh. His eyesight is failing. And he's going to get to a place ultimately where he has to ask his disciple, Timothy, hey, buddy, could you bring me a coat? Because I'll freeze to death this winter if you don't. His response to all of that is, in this text, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Just let that fall in your soul for a second tonight. And maybe Paul has key to the, uh, an aspect of the joy of Christ that so many of us are lacking and have restricted in our life. Just try it one time. Say this after me. So I rejoice. Let's just start pronouncing spiritual authority over our circumstances and our relationships and our doubt and our despair. Now, I know what some of you are saying, like, that, that's great, Chris. I get it. That's good for Paul. But is it really possible? So I rejoice. You're talking about being authentic and honest. Well, I'll be honest. I have a hard time saying this most of my days. I'm not even talking about the big, big stuff. It's the little stuff that robs my joy. The second my car breaks down, I get stuck in traffic, I drop my phone and the screen cracks and now my finger's bleeding every time I try to check my email. (laughs) So I rejoice. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got, my dog's got fleas, my kids are pooping their pants and I just want to get away to have just one moment of peace and I go to Chick-fil-A at 3 p.m. and it's still nine cars deep. (laughs) How is that humanly possible? So I rejoice. But I wonder if we took a closer look, if we might find some encouragement through the gospel. And I have to be honest with you, as I've prayed and chewed on this passage like a piece of hubba bubba, (laughs) gooey and delicious, the bubble that it burst in my life is it's not so much that I have a difficult time finding joy when there's financial struggles or there's physical issues or there's inconveniences or interruptions in my life. I think it's more because I have such a difficult time realizing that I am supposed to live in the spiritual world and not the physical world. And when I adopt the world's values and its corresponding lies, I turn my back on the life and the teachings of Jesus and I choose myself to be lonely, miserable, and isolated. And so I have a pastor that I really enjoy. He pastors a church in California and his name is John Ortberg and he writes on this subject. And uh, I'm gonna borrow from him four ways 
that you can guarantee to make your life absolutely miserable and rob all the Christian joy that you've been promised by God to receive. Okay, are you guys ready for this? So, number one, here's a way that you can reduce the jurisdiction of joy in your life and enlarge the zone of death in your life. Here's what he says. Absolutely, undeniably, make sure at every time and point in your life, wait to be happy until your circumstances are just right. Don't do it. Don't get happy. Don't you smile. Don't you smile. Life's not perfect. Be miserable, complain, and wait until all the stars align. I like to call this once I carpal tunnel syndrome. We want to get our bony, greedy, little mangy hands around the once I get the job, once I get the spouse, once I get out of student loan debt, you're going to be there a while. Once I finally get faster, further, farther, better, stronger, I will then I'll be happy. And all of a sudden I'll release and everything in life will be perfect. Doesn't happen. You're miserable and you're making us miserable. (laughs) Or we could look to scripture and live in the spiritual reality what James chapter 2 says. Brothers and sisters, count it pure joy when you face trials and testings of many kinds because you know that the trying of your faith works patience or perseverance or steadfastness. And let steadfastness have her way with you that you might be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. So I rejoice. Question I have for you tonight is, do you look at your circumstances through the lens of your Christian joy? Or do you look at your Christian joy through the lens of your circumstances? Eh? Eh. Thank you for that. It wasn't that good. That's total sympathy laugh. Paul's going to save me here. Watch how Paul does it in verses 12 and 14, right? The Philippians are writing to him. This is their pastor. It's the leader of the emerging Christian movement. It's increasingly getting hostile out there for Christians. Soon Nero is going to declare that it's illegal to be a Christian. Blame them for a house fire that got out of control. They're losing their minds going, oh my gosh, how are you, Paul? Paul's response to how are you is this. The God, you need to know that what's happened to me is for the gospel to advance. Prison guards are coming to faith in Jesus and people have more confidence and boldness in speaking about Jesus without fear. So I rejoice. Just to make sure we're clear, Paul's answer to the question is, how are you doing? He answers with how the gospel is doing. What if we started asking people that? How are you doing? Great. Oh, man, it's just awful. Great, good, got it. I enter into that with you. Hey, how's the gospel doing in your life? And maybe that rises it up just a little bit more and gives some significance to the season of life that you're in. Maybe that turns the lens around so that you can see your circumstances through the lens of Christian joy. Second thing John says, that if you want to make sure that you shrink the jurisdiction of joy in your life and expand the zone of death, undeniably, inconceivably, make sure you consistently do this. Constantly compare yourself to other people. Man, get get on social media. Look at all the lies people have on Instagram and believe every single one of them. 
Look around the office, look around your classroom, look around your sports team, look at everyone else and always go, oh my gosh, uh, they're so much better than me. I'll never have that. It's totally robbing me of my joy and the zone of death is constantly expanding. Or you could rejoice. Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself, not somebody else, somebody else's gifts, callings, life, season, circumstances. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Did you catch that? A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I have a question for you tonight. Does other people's success cause you shame? Does other people's failures bring you pride? Comparison brings pride or shame both our sin and anti-God mentalities. Paul's ministry and career missionary looks like it's being threatened to be taken over if he's comparing himself to other people. In verses 15 through 18, he responds to the other people who are trying to infringe on the work that he's done. And he says this, whether they have good intentions or selfish ambition, Christ is being proclaimed, so I rejoice. And the jurisdiction of joy grows larger and larger. Another thing John says, hey, if you want to make your life absolutely miserable and shrink the jurisdiction of joy in your life and expand the zone of death, make sure you have a 100% firm commitment to go at it alone. You do it yourself. It's all up to you. You got to control every decision, every relationship, every choice, and anything that's beyond your control or any mistake that you made the second you do it, hide it, sweep it under the rug, isolate yourself, and make sure you never let anyone else in. Or you could rejoice. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you notice that those were all plural words that were underlined? We, us, and our. One of my questions for you tonight is, who helps you hope and rejoice in your sufferings? Who do you invite into those difficult circumstances and say, will you help me hope? Because right now, I don't know if I can see it. Will you ask me how the gospel's doing in my life, not just about my circumstances? And then the second question is, who in your life will become more confident in their faith because of how you handle hardship? Paul just said people are beginning to be more confident and boldly sharing the name of Jesus. If someone's watching you walk through the hardship or circumstance that you're currently in right now, will they gain confidence in their faith because of how you're walking through it? Paul says it this way, because of my imprisonment, most of my brothers are much more bold to speak about Jesus without fear. So I rejoice. Lastly, if you want to shrink down the jurisdiction of joy in your life and expand the zone of death, Make sure, this is really, really important. Make sure that you adopt doom and gloom as your primary worldview. Oh my gosh. Chicken Little, Eeyore, sky is falling. Why so downcast, oh my soul? 
right? You guys, you, you, you just need to realize that the worst case scenario is always happening, okay? It's going to be hurtful, painful, stressful. So you might as well be fearful right now because it's coming and eventually it's coming and it's going to be awful and you're not going to have what it takes. So let's just go ahead and be miserable. Or you could rejoice. First Peter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though it were something strange to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the question I have for you tonight is the goal of your Christian life to minimize hardship or maximize joy? For Paul, he says it this way in verse 20, I fully expect and hope that I will never be put to shame, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. I trust that my life will bring honor to him whether I live or die. So I rejoice. When he says fully expect and hope, that's a translation. Other ones would put it eager expectation. In the Greek, it literally has the meaning of stretching out your neck and raising up your head to anticipate what is coming. For some of you in here tonight, the biggest word you need to hear from Jesus is get your eyes off your circumstance and onto your Savior. Because if you can get a better gospel perspective and know that Jesus is in the room that'll never leave you or forsake you. It'll transform you in the midst of your circumstances, even if it doesn't transform your circumstances. And then we can cry out with the psalmist. I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord with eager expectation, full of hope and full of expectation that Jesus is who he says he is. And this can even happen. I've seen it happen. Even in the season that you're in right now. A season of singleness or loneliness. A season of death or illness. A season of depression or oppression. Whatever season, if it's doubt and despair, you need to know that even in the mornings when you can't get out of bed and you want to say, I can't look for Jesus with an outstretched neck and head, let alone lift my head up. You need to know this, that he is the lifter of your head. He is the holder of your hand. And he is Jesus. And life and death are all underneath the jurisdiction of his joy. Amen? So let's just take 120 seconds and kind of reflect maybe on a posture that you found yourself in that's denying, preventing, and sabotaging your Christian joy. Is it that you're going at it alone? Is it that you're waiting for all your circumstances to be perfect before you allow yourself to experience joy? Is it that you're constantly comparing yourself to others? What is it that's sabotaging your joy the most? And this last one I'll add just because it's bubbling up inside of me. Is it because you're consistently blaming others for your miserableness? And oftentimes it's someone who's closest to you. I'm not saying there's not any truth in that. I'm just saying there's no joy in that. 
and somewhere unforgiveness and bitterness has taken root. And maybe it's time to release that to the jurisdiction of joy that Jesus wants to offer you tonight. So let's listen in together. See where the Holy Spirit might drop a pin in your heart and ask the risen and resurrected Savior to walk right into the middle of it so that you can say the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Let's listen together.